Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Blue Ngo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Doing Well, the show where we talk about all things the science of well-being. So today, I'm very excited. I'm going to talk to Kim Meidenbauer about connectedness to nature. And if you tuned in last week, you might find out that Kim is actually a colleague of one of our guests. So um, that's that's very interesting. If you remember Kate, uh, or we call her Catherine E-shirts, Kim is her colleague and we found out the day of the recording with Kate that they're colleagues. So this is really fun because they talk about very similar things, but from very different angles. So Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. And just before I throw over to you to introduce yourself, I would love to share with our audience that Kim is the perfect guest to talk about this because she is an assistant professor at Washington State University in the Department of Psychology and the Health Equity Research Center. Thanks for joining us, Kim, and please tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Lou. It's really, uh, I'm really excited to talk with you guys today. Um, so yeah, I am uh, a social, cognitive, and environmental neuroscientist and psychologist, which is a lot of things, but basically means that I am generally interested in how uh, people's uh, mental health, their well-being, uh, how their brain activity and their emotions and behaviors are all affected by different things in their environment. So um, that's kind of the gist of what I study, and I study a lot of different things under that massive umbrella. But um, it's yeah, I'm really excited to talk with you today, and uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm super, I'm super stoked. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's really good to know about your professional background and know that you're the really great guests for today. But I was telling you earlier, I really love reading your bio because it has that personal touch that I really love uh, because I'm a cat owner as well. And you yes. have cats. I was kind of like, yeah, we're vibing. We're going to we're going to have yes, a great conversation, totally. you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, really, really glad to have you here. And um, maybe we'll be able to talk about cats in a little bit, yeah. which I'm excited I, about. I sure maybe. I do have like a cat themed mug going on right now. Oh, wow. And they will probably, they will probably zoom bomb at some point. Uh, So, you know, there will be, there will be cat moments. I am certain of it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, I should actually bring a cat mug to the studio <laughs> now that you told me that. I'm like, you know what? That's a good point. I'll I'll yeah. like print a mug with all my cats yeah. on it. Yeah. It's cool. on my identity. So it's like important to me that people know, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, I walk out on the street and everyone would know because I'm covered in fur. Like oh that's my God, just my, man. yeah, that's my move. I wear black and it's always and covered in fur, <laughs> and fur. Yeah. So, you know, like I'm a, I'm a proud cat yeah. owner. I don't mind. Heck yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So now I'm going to, I'm going to get our audience to go into this section. We called, have you met Kim? And uh, we know a little bit about you, but I find that we learn so much more about a person when you learn about what they like, what they recommend, what they've been doing. So 
these are our prompts. We have five things that we want to throw um, around. And I normally ask my guests to share a recommendation or if there's no recommendation, they can just share, you know, the first thing that pops into their mind. So the first one I want to ask you, my favorite question is, what is a book you would recommend? God, okay. I I can't choose one. Can I give one? Multiple? <laughs> can I give you, well, you a non-fiction? A fiction? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, okay. Let's do that. Um, yeah. Perfect. Okay. Because, um, yeah, I, I'm like such like a, a like book lover, so I really struggle to bring it in. Um, so I would say starting with nonfiction, um, and this is actually a book I really recently read. Like I read it a couple of months ago. It's called Four Thousand Weeks by Oliver Berkman. Um, and you're nodding. You recognize it. Yeah. So it's like. It's like time management for mortals, and it's just like yeah, it's it. not time management at all. It's like take advantage of the time you have on this planet because it's limited, and really, it's like I just loved it as like a way to like mentally reframe. And I think I tend to get really like caught up from time to time in like the daily grind and like trying to be super efficient. And that book is kind of like there's no amount of efficiency and planning that can make you have complete control over your time. So stop yeah. trying to control time and just roll with it. And I've really taken that. Part. So I'm like, really, I'm telling all of my friends about that book right now. That's my go-to. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I love it. It's such a good book. Um, yeah. And then I would say for fiction, probably my favorite would be Fahrenheit 451. Um, it's just like a classic book. And it, it in some ways, like, I feel like it's pretty similar to 4,000 weeks. It's like, yeah, I mean, I think there's like parallels. There's like, there's the whole thing about wanting to like, you know, be distracted out of, you know, thinking and it's like trying to make people, you know, be distracted so that they don't have time to think. Um, And I feel like there's like a lot of parallels between kind of like the issues of modern life and not giving ourselves time to stop and reflect and, and kind of, that kind of overarching theme of Fahrenheit 451 is like if we could think deeply then we wouldn't uh we would be more dissatisfied with just all the distractions you know that are kind of um so those two I actually think of as being kind of similar um but maybe yeah. that's just how my brain <laughs> no that's interesting <laughs> I I've never heard about that fiction but um okay. I, I like how you compare the two books and you find the similarity I, yeah I'm gonna have to just, research yeah that book they're it's really good it's yeah it's like older it's um very like it's like a classic it's so good um but Mm. then also because i love reading for fun i feel like we need to plug pretty much anything by neil gaiman matt haig or madeline miller those are the people i'm obsessed with lately so yeah i love matt haig as well yeah so good so good i agree yeah (laughs) i know couldn't agree more um yeah, I, I really, I really love Four Thousand Weeks. I believe that there was, there were a couple of months last year. I just kept talking about that book to every single person yeah, I was meeting. It's so good. <laughs> it is so good. Yeah, you know, I want to, I want to read it again now. because um, yeah, totally. I, I think it's, it's better to read deeply as well. So just kind of find new nuggets, and it's a good reminder that you can just get every now and again. I think I heard um, when I, when I talked about that book, someone told me that they would read it every year. Like once a yeah. year, they need to read that book. And I was you like, need a that's reminder. Actually, yeah. yeah, that's actually good. Like, that's a good point. Totally. Because you're, 
yeah, you're getting that reminder every time. And that's the point yeah. of reading, I think. It's not about reading more books, but actually remembering what you've read. Yeah, and that's totally. my struggle. So, yeah. yeah, interesting. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to... Oh, very good. Oh, no, I was just I was saying I'm going to have to read Fahrenheit 451 because... Yes. Oh, so good. That sounds so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you were saying... <laughs> Um, oh yeah, I was just gonna say. I also think that with a book like that, where it's like so, there's so much goodness in it, and also like I think my default is to like slip back into kind of like old habits where I'm like planning and efficiency, and so I think rereading it is like, oh, I needed that like to be reminded. <laughs> um, you know, oh yeah, my once a yearly let's reset and rethink about things. I feel like is probably probably gonna be good. Yeah, totally. Any other book recommendations? I feel like you have many. It's so many, but I if I stand out for the whole podcast. Yeah, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna go down a rabbit hole, hey? Okay, yeah. that's all right. Let's talk about a movie. What is a movie okay. you would recommend, a movie you love, or just something you watched recently that you wanna talk about? Yeah, so I mean, probably like my I would say my all time favorite movie uh is probably Chicago like the musical um and I just like love I mean so I saw it when I was really young for the first time fell in love with the music I also lived in Chicago yeah I just I just moved to Washington a few months ago but I lived in Chicago for eight years so I have this like really strong affinity with the city um and so and it's just such a good movie it's so entertaining it's an Oscar winner it's everything I love it yeah. highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. even if you don't like musicals yeah. it's a good movie Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I do love musical, but I've actually never watched that one. Oh, I get so oh, many good recommendations you. on this yeah. show. Yeah, I have to. I have to. Me too, yeah. Chicago musical. See, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm saving it right now. Don't you worry. Beautiful. I'm going to save it yeah. right now so I don't yeah, forget. All right. Um, next one is a must ask on the show. You're on the well, podcast right now as a guest, but I wonder which podcast you listen to uh, on the daily or maybe just, you know, every now yeah. and again. Yeah, so I I would say I went through like a real like like basically I got tuned into podcasts when like Serial came out you know however like twenty fourteen whenever that was and like I think podcasts became a thing and then I kind of obsessively listened to them for like since then and I've fallen off recently but I have like so many podcast wrecks um, but I think mm -hmm. I'm gonna narrow it down to like the ones that I feel like I really got a lot out of and really like stuck with me. Um, so I think from like, because I'm just like a nerd at my core, um, I love science versus, which is, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. So you're not a, you know, um, yeah, great. Just like science podcast. I love Wendy Zuckerman. She's awesome. Um, and so I love that from like wanting to always learn about new things. I just always like to learn. Um, the Anthropocene yeah. Reviewed is like a very poetic podcast that I really appreciate. Is um, by John Green? Yeah, yeah. So he like reviews. I don't know if it's still going on. I have the book. Yeah. I have the book. So I haven't read listening? the book, but I didn't know that he has a podcast for that as yeah. well. That's interesting. The podcast was like the before the book, actually. So I think like oh. select, select episodes, basically, of the podcast are in like written form. Um, and it's so good. It's just like, let's like, you know, Yelp review, uh, Canada geese or sunset. And I just love everything about that. Um, <laughs> um, and then the <laughs> other two, I'm going to choose two more. The other two, 
um, our Code Switch, which I just think is like a really cool and important podcast. And like, I really, I just love every single episode and I love the host. Um, and then my like weird kind of one that people don't expect, I really like, like military history, like a lot for some reason. I don't know why. It's very consistent with the rest of my personality, I feel like. Um, but I really like Dan Carlin's hardcore history as a consequence. Mm-hmm. So that podcast, I always feel like um, it's like interesting. And it also gives me a lot of perspective. I feel like I'm like, oh, wow. You know, no matter how bad things are, do I feel like in my life right now? Um, I'm not like in World War II as a soldier experiencing terrible things. Like my life is pretty good. And so I like weirdly use that podcast as sometimes to reset my like expectations for life, which is kind of a weird way to think of it, but it's really effective. Yeah, it's really effective. So yeah. New perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because normally if I ask my guests about podcasts, I would say more than half of them, like I don't actually listen to podcasts. So you're the complete opposite. Like you have so many recommendations. I love it. Yeah, Thank you. Too I, was, many. I was low-key saving all of them. I was low-key saving all of them. I was like, oh, good. Like I need to get back into listening to podcasts. Yeah. I actually don't listen to that many podcasts nowadays. So I mean, I'm you're loving probably, these recommendations. You know, busy doing podcasts, you know. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love learning from my guests. You know, that's why I stopped listening go. to podcasts. But um, I think it'll be good to to hear from other shows because they have different perspectives and it's a good way to consume content, you know, when totally. you're doing things. Like, I, I feel like that's more effective than just playing the t- like just playing a movie or something totally. in the background. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I really need no, to get back completely. into that. Yeah. Yeah, no, cool. I love a, I love a podcast or even an audiobook just like when I'm like doing chores or just like, you know, doing something. It's like, I just like to have something like going on in the background that usually you know like i can pay attention to easily and i don't have to be looking at it i actually appreciate that a lot (laughs) yeah i agree with you same okay then next one who is your famous role model or if not famous then a personal role model of yours yeah so this i i actually really struggle to think of someone honestly um but i think she's not famous necessarily outside of like people that know about cycling but there's this cyclist named jenny graham and she was like the record she was the fastest um woman to ever do a bike packing self-supported bike packing trip around the world um in 2018 and so she's this like crazy endurance cyclist um and she's like scottish and she's like super uh like impressive and strong and everything about that like obvious but She's also got one of this the kind of like most positive and just kind of like taking life as it comes and like trying not to split the small stuff like personality. And it's just like it's aspirational. <laughs> Honestly, I'm yeah. like, when I grow up, I want to be Jenny Graham. Um, she's just so like always taking in like her surroundings and appreciating where she is. Um, like if you ever see a documentary with her, which there's a number of them. It's just she's just had it. She's living her best life. She's like, you know, living out of a backpack, but she's so she's having the best time doing it. Um, So, yeah, I'm just I like have mad respect for her and I I want to be like her. Yeah, I love that. I've never heard of this name before, but now that you've mentioned it, I'm curious. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole point. You're getting curious about new things. So thank you for that. For sure. All right. And uh, finally, what is the course you've completed that you want to talk about? I mean, you're an assistant professor, so I'm keen to hear what you want to talk about here. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, things like I I haven't like taken courses now in so long, um, but there's actually a course that I was a teaching assistant for in grad school. And it was like the first time I'd ever, it was the first time the course was ever being developed. I was kind of helping the instructor a little bit more in the creation of it um, than normal. And it was like public policy class. And so I don't know why as a psychologist, they were like, yeah, this is fine. You can, you can teach this psych PhD student. Um, But they did. And I was really glad for it because it was the first time that I'd seen like a class uh, so focused on like, okay, here's science and here is what we can use. Here's what we can take and learn and then apply it to like meaningful policies. And just kind of seeing how the professor of that class, who was Anjali Adukia, she's amazing. Harris Public Policy School, check her out. She like everything she brought up was like so she's like this is important research and here is the clear link to how we can change things and for me thinking as like a very like basic scientist honestly at that point i I hadn't been thinking about how can you apply research in like very concrete ways and that class was like just such an eye-opener for me because i was like oh i could really like do research that like matters and like has policy implications um in like a very like concrete way and so that class was just like really kind of broadened my horizon thinking about what i could do as a scientist honestly um and the impact Mm -hmm. i could have so that was pretty um that was awesome for me oh that's so good to hear i just love hearing people talking about things they've done with passion you know like i think that's very inspirational and i'm glad to hear that's working out for you well as well yeah thanks for that (laughs) Really, really good recommendations, really good share. And now we're going to talk about well-being. We're going to talk about barriers uh, when it comes to connecting with nature. Very important topic. I was talking to your colleague last week and we were just addressing how much um, our lives have changed and, you know, how much this has impacted our well-being in general. But I'm sure you're going to have some new nuggets of information to add. So let's start with well-being. Let's start broad. What does well-being mean to you? Yeah. So, I mean, what being so funny is like as a scientist, I'm like, there needs to be a definition. And it's like, there is not really seemingly a single agreed upon definition at all. So what I'm going to say is kind of what it means to me personally, <laughs> uh, yeah. which is like, for me, it's like a feeling of, of contentment um, and being kind of at peace with how things are and appreciating how things are, even if they're not like ideal. So I think of well-being as like there's there's precursors where like things need to be like good enough in your life, like your life circumstances need to be like adequate, right? You can't be like experiencing extreme illness or having like really intense financial insecurity or having a really stressful like home life or something like those things. Just having like a good attitude and kind of approach are I think going to create well-being, but it's like assuming your situation and life circumstances are like good enough being in the mindset to kind of weather things that come and go and just like being okay with that and, and still being, feeling grateful and appreciative and open to life. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something we 
tend to neglect because a lot of the times we look at someone and we're like, oh, this person's well-being must be good. But we don't know what's going on inside. We don't know about their circumstances. Um, I, I agree with your personal definition. And I think it's it's true. You know, I don't think there's one single definition that would apply to everyone because it's it's yeah. so different for each of us. Totally. Um, so it's good that you pointed out that, you know, we, we need to have that certain balance in our lives where we, we need to be at a state where we're comfortable, uh, but also sort of thriving. Um, so what are some of the misconceptions that you've seen in others? You know, obviously as a scientist, you can talk from a research perspective, or you can just say from your observation regarding people that you know, and you just kind of see, oh, like that person's getting well-being really wrong. Right. What are some of the misconceptions that you notice? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's this idea, and I think this is in part just, be, I think it's partly because like of the way that a lot of us present ourselves on social media and like always showing the good moments. I think there's this idea that you, you just need to be happy and positive like all the time. And I just don't think that that's, I don't think that's realistic. Um, and I don't think it's true of most people. So I feel like um, I don't think that people that have a high sense of well-being have to be just like constantly happy I think that there can be like fluctuations but as long as they're like able to cope um when things kind of come up I think that's pretty key um and I think that I know I think people there's a lot of things I think people think will make them happy that ultimately don't um I mean there's like you know research on um you know well there's like the famous study that's like oh yeah the research shows that up to $75,000 a year money can buy you happiness. Um, and then beyond that, it kind of plateaus. Um, I actually recently read a paper that was just like uh, kind of replication follow up on that. And basically what they found is that, well, actually, if you're already happy, money does continue to help. Um, but if you're unhappy, then all the money in the world can't make you happier. So it's like, yeah, it's money isn't enough and so i think financial stability huge right that's going to make it easier for you to have good well-being but just like piling on more money to reduce hap- uh to reduce unhappiness is not really gonna to ha- have an effect um so i think that that's one main thing there's also just this like issue of people overestimate how much they will be affected by like negative events and then they underestimate a lot of like smaller positive events so like people are really bad at what's called affective forecasting so predicting how they will respond emotionally to something that are either good or bad um and like there's lots of research showing we're like always assuming that like a bad event is going to make us so upset and totally ruin our well-being and our happiness and it's like well no actually we're pretty resilient um we tend to bounce back actually (laughs) Um, and things like a lot of money or like buying things, um, we, we tend to overestimate and, and things like spending time in nature, we underestimate. So there's like a whole, you know, kind of connected to what we're talking about today. Like there's a study that showed that people underestimated just how much they would, their mood would change by being in nature. Um, so they didn't even know that that would be something that would improve their mood and it had a huge effect. So, um, Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, I love that. I couldn't agree more. I, on the first point, you know, when it comes to social media, that's come up quite a bit in this show. You know, we talked yeah. about that a lot of the time. And just to emphasize, it's, it's social media is just highlight reels. You know, you don't, real you, don't see the low, so, no. you don't see the stuff that happens in the low light. It's really okay not if you're not feeling yeah. great. And, well, I mean, sometimes it's... It's funny because when you see other people having fun and you're not feeling great on social media, it, it kind of affects your mental health quite a bit. Um, and I think that's that's why we really need to put things into perspective because just look at our own selves, right? We, we wouldn't yeah. share when we're struggling most of the yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. And, it's like, yeah. How would you we'll still share the people? highlights. Yeah, yeah totally. Exactly. Yeah. And then um, the other point is also really interesting because yesterday um, our our team, um, our CEO was sharing this article with our team actually about, you know, how money can affect happiness and and well-being, I think. Uh, I didn't get time to, to read it closely, but then now, you, now that you're mentioning it, it's kind of like, it's kind of coming up quite a bit okay. in conversations. And I think it's true because I think the, the happiest I've been or like the, the time that I felt like my well-being is at its peak is not when I'm spending money actually right um and we're talking about spending time in nature we're going to talk about that right now you know some some of the barriers about spending time with na in nature but last week we were talking about the the good side of it you know like how amazing it is for us to spend more time in nature and it's it was interesting because i was sharing with kate that i'm gonna go on a hike i think i think i was sharing with her <laughs> um I, I don't remember if it was in the recording or after but i was kind of saying yeah i'm gonna go on a hike tomorrow uh, or this weekend this long weekend with uh, my friend because yeah. we had um the long weekend just that just passed and uh it, it was true you know like we went on the hike went really early mm -hmm. in the morning spend zero money basically apart from the driving yep. i mean my friend <laughs> paid for gas uh, but that's different <laughs> It's like it's a time totally. spent just hiking, exploring, Nothing. truly spending no money, not being on social media whatsoever. It was I, I told my friend, I was like, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> like, yeah, literally, I mean, that's crazy. what I said. Yeah. yeah, it is crazy. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. So we was we was saying, you know, like if this is the best day of your life, we need to have more days like this. So we're going to, oh, yeah. you know, let's spend more time in nature and just explore because yeah. there's so much more to explore. And, you know, even if you've lived in a place for years, you'll, mm -hmm. you'll still find new things to explore, for example, in nature. And um, yeah, we absolutely. were kind of talking last week about the fact that, you know, sometimes you don't get access to all of these things. But mm -hmm. I think it's also a matter of perspective and priority because we would, you know, we speaking about 4,000 weeks, we all have the same amount of time. So it's yeah. up to you entirely how you want to spend your time. So now let's talk about the barriers because that's a bit of pretext. So obviously we know it's good. Personally, yep. I think it's great. I know you love spending time in nature as well because you're the expert here and you you probably advocate for this so much, especially if you you bike. I think that's I do, what you said yeah. earlier. I bike and I hike yeah. a lot. Very. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. You definitely spend a lot of time in nature. So what are some of the structural and physical barriers to spending time in nature nowadays, according to your research? Yeah, so I mean, I will say that kind of a lot of how I think about structural and physical barriers um, to nature is is kind of situated within honestly like a city context. So most of what I'm going to talk about won't necessarily speak to people that are like living in uh, more rural areas, but um, at least in cities, which is you know where most people in the world live, um, it, we see that you know there's a lot of variability even within the same city. 
um, or even within the same kind of sub part of a city um, in kind of the quality of, of nature. And so, you know, nature could be um, like a, a city park or it could be a greenway. Um, it could be like a body of water nearby or something like that. Um, and we basically know that overall the kind of nicer, greener, more beautiful natural spaces that are in cities are also going to be the ones that are uh, are also going to be in areas that are generally very high socioeconomic status areas, so high income, wealthy areas, um, and disproportionately white areas relative to areas that are predominantly um, or majority majority like persons of color and community of color. So, as like an example in Chicago, which is where you know I spent most of, you know my my twenties um, studying and looking at kind of how Chicago as an example, which is like super segregated. Um, it's one of the most segregated cities in, in the U.S. and like it has like a very racist, racist history that has kind of led to this. And as a consequence, you, we see that a lot of Chicago's most beautiful and impressive um, natural spaces are, are on its north and east sides, which are the, the whitest and wealthiest essentially sides um, of Chicago. And and like Lake Michigan, for example, uh, it was a beautiful lakefront in Chicago. I, spent so much time hiking and uh, biking along the lakefront path. And it was easy for me because I lived so close to it. But Chicago's west side is, it's hard to get to the lake um, from the west side. And the west side is also where you have uh, like a majority of like the Latinx and black residents in Chicago. Um, And so not only is there like more physical space between some of the nicer better green spaces or blue spaces within a city. Um, but they're also not necessarily easy to get to via like low cost transit options. So you, it's kind of harder to to get to the lakefront or some places from the west side and some parts of the south side. So it's not even just that places are physically further away. It's like people might not have an ability to get there if they don't have a car or if they don't have the time. Um, and so there's these structural issues um, that are like very apparent. You just look at the distribution of parks in a city like Chicago, and this isn't just Chicago. Like this is the case in a lot of cities in the U.S. Um, and I haven't done much work internationally looking at other cities, but honestly, I would I would expect that there's probably an analog um, in vast major cities across the across the world. Um, so so those are like really just like structural physical barriers um, to getting some of these kind of like quality nature experiences within cities. Um, And then on top of that, I will add like two other minor things. One, um, well, not minor, but two lesser points. One is that uh, a lot of times like really beautiful natural spaces, um, especially in cities, especially if they're in wealthy neighborhoods, um, they can be seen as kind of like a little bit exclusionary. So they're like white or wealthy spaces. And so um, I'm actually working on a project now with some collaborators. We're trying to investigate this this question of, you know, um, uh, how can we make spaces restorative and beneficial without making them, you know, these white wealthy spaces where persons of color might not actually feel like they belong. Um, and this is an issue, right? Like you don't want to go somewhere and experience nature if you don't feel like you can belong there. Um, so that's one other thing. Um, and then the final thing I would say is that uh, not all nature is created equal. So 
if you are in the middle of a city or if you aren't in a place that has like like nearby really beautiful scenic vistas so this is something that i feel like having moved to washington now and i'm just like always surrounded by just like spectacular views i'm like oh my god i just like i didn't have that when i was living west in the same way so there's just like, like geographic barrier where it's like if you don't live close to like just like beautiful awe-inspiring vistas then like you aren't going to see them unless you have the ability to travel to those places and again if you don't have the money to travel you're not going to be able to go to those places so that's kind of how i think about in terms of the structural um and physical barriers yeah, well, that's a really good point, actually, because I never thought about it that way, especially because now that I have been living in Melbourne for a couple of years, I feel like we are very lucky because we have a lot of parks around and I don't feel like I don't belong as a person of color. You know, so I that's feel great. like it's definitely a yeah. structural issue elsewhere if, you know, if people are struggling with that. And I think for me, it's actually been really good because so the city that I'm from, Hanoi, is very, like, it's very urbanized now. It's like you know, buildings everywhere. It's very polluted. We don't have yeah. as many parks. And um, in fact, the, the parks aren't free most of the time. Oh, wow. So really? recently, yeah, like some of, some of them, it's kind of like, it's like a amusement park sort of thing, but it's not really amusement park. And they just people just get charged to go into these parks. And um, recently there's been a project going on with one of the biggest parks in the city where they just remove the barricades and, you know, now they're going to turn that into a free park for everyone. Uh, but there's a lot of concern about safety. So yeah. what happens is, you know, if, if you're from a very safe city, you don't necessarily worry about, you know, being in the park at night, let's say. Right. But in, in a city like Hanoi, the crime rate is still kind of high exactly. and there there's a lot of risk involved, basically, yeah. because, you know, addicts would roam around the city at night, you know, looking sure. for places to hang or, you know, like they would um, right. maybe do transactions or things like that. Yeah, or yeah, do, yeah. You know, mugging could happen. So when sure. I think about that, I feel how lucky I am that I'm here. And there's that kind of, there's the difference when I think about it, because when I was home in Hanoi, living there for over 20 years, I was kind of like not really going out much. Yeah. Not, not for a walk. I would go mm -hmm. to the gym, but I wouldn't go out for yeah. a walk compared to fast forward Melbourne. Yep. I go, I go on walks on a daily basis. Yeah. Because absolutely. it's so accessible and it's so like well-structured in that sense. And totally. it, there's just, you know, so much around me, especially because I live in the city. So it's just really good. And now that you mentioned that, I'm kind of like, oh, wow, the differences are so big. They're huge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's true. And honestly, what you brought up there is it's another kind of this is like a thing that I, I didn't bring up before, but it's a pretty crucial one is that like it's not even just that like they're the nice parks are in the wealthy areas. Like there's that's where some of the safest parks are, too. Right. Like. I did some focus group work um, with uh, like some communities, uh, community members a few years ago, and we asked them, like, you know, well, what are some of the things that you, that make you go to or not go to parks in your neighborhood? And, like, do you visit parks in your neighborhood? And like a number of them were like, well, I would actually rather just take the, the bus and like go to like Millennium Park in downtown Chicago, where I know it's safer and nicer, and it's like having a park in your neighborhood isn't that beneficial if you don't feel like you can go there safely and like actually have a 
like it's not going to be a restorative experience or a boost to your mood if you're like you know worried about you know being like attacked or something like that so so totally. thinking about not just the presence you know of, of there being green spaces or parks but like are these parks accessible are they safe do people want to spend time in them uh it's pretty crucial so yeah, yeah. So i think that's a great that's a great point that you brought up i'm glad you brought that yeah, it's it's actually quite, you know, like now that I look at it, it's quite concerning as well. And I can compare my level of well-being back then versus now because I'm more connected to nature, obviously. And I didn't think about this at all until you brought this up today. Like, it, it's not like I've done my analysis yeah, or anything. Yeah. I literally right. just thought about that. And <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's quite crucial for people to start noticing this thing, because sometimes when you're when you're born and raised in a, in a place and you don't move anywhere your whole life, you probably don't get that perspective right yeah exactly so, yeah it's, it's good to recognize it because you can actually take steps to change that for example had i not left hanoi i wouldn't know that right. i could actually enjoy life this way you know just go for walks after work yeah. or if i need a little bit of a break i would just you know like have a walk uh, around the block to the park nearest um to my apartment and yeah. i visited my family recently i have to say it was actually challenging and now that i know what it is i i couldn't really put a pin on it yeah yeah i didn't really i couldn't really know what what i was i I felt really out of whack i was like i I don't know why yeah turns out it's actually this you know like it's actually the fact that i i didn't get to spend much time in nature to recharge i was basically cooped up in the four walls most of the time or if i had been out it's just like you know jumping on um the, the the grab we don't have uber but you know onto the grab and off to the next destination so right basically you, you don't get that exposure at all unless you yeah. actually go on a trip with your friends or yeah um do activities but i think it's it was kind of a good point to raise because we want to talk about how this would affect our well-being right so i would say well if you're living in a place where there are a lot of barriers, I'm guessing chances are your well-being is probably not going to be as good as somebody else who gets access yeah. to, to this. And sadly, a lot of that has to do with wealth. Like you said, a lot of the rich yep. neighborhood has that. And same thing in Vietnam, honestly. Like they would have these, uh, these amazing gardens uh, with guards, you know, in these really fancy buildings right. or apartment buildings. And you can totally. easily access them if, they, if you live there. Or yep. if you pay for it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's, it's and interesting because it's structural. I don't think it is, a person, yeah. a single person can change it, but it's good to recognize it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's one of those things where it's like, not only is it, um, it's, you know, the, these structural issues, not only do they, um, make it so that, you know, your, your local close by green spaces and whatever are, uh, you know, inadequate, you could say in some cases, um, but also, you know, like wealth and, and a lot of other things actually enable some people to be able to change their situations. Whereas if you're really struggling, it's harder to, you know, change your situation. Um, you know, if you have like sick parents that you need to take care of, like you can't move away or, or you know, so there's like, there's other things that even if you realize that your, you know, your neighborhood is not optimally designed for your well-being, right, for, for X, Y, and Z reason, including the like poor nature um you know you also have to have the means and opportunity to actually make that change and that's another structural issue um that is tightly linked to things like uh wealth at least in the u.s so 
Um, it's a tricky thing. And then it kind of what you were saying there about like, oh, this is what I realized I was missing. Like that is a thing that we, I think was also observed a lot. I think during COVID, like, like the drop in well-being. you know, everybody was inside. Nobody was spending time in nature. And, uh, in Chicago, at least there was this like huge thing where, um, like the Chicago's lakefront got basically blocked off because of COVID, like <laughs> that people weren't going outside. So it was basically like the lakefront was just shut down. And so oh, wow. the like this like normal source of nature for most Chicagoans that are somewhat on the eastern half of the city suddenly shut down and you know, it didn't work out well. <laughs> you know, it was pretty oh, bad. Like no. we didn't know at the time, you know, that outside was okay. So it's like easy in hindsight, but but it had a really major impact on the city residents. And um, there was also research by one of my colleagues um, at University of Washington, and they basically showed that COVID also restricted access disproportionately for people of color um, to nature. Um, so it's not even just that like COVID had this negative impact on getting all of us access to nature because we were in lockdown. It was that this was even worse if you stratified by someone's, you know, socioeconomic status, for example. Um, so it's like, there's all these like levels of structural uh, issues. I see. Like, all the things, it's, you know, great if you can make those changes. And like, I love that you were, you went to Melbourne and you now have this like amazing access. That's like so awesome. Yeah. But it, it's yeah. tricky too when like not, not everyone can, like I also feel very fortunate that I've been able to move, but not everyone. I don't know has that. Yeah. Really yeah, absolutely. So we can talk about some li- little strategies or practice that we can incorporate into our lives in a little bit because um, it is a problem. And obviously, as I said earlier, I don't think one single person can change no, the structural really issues, no. but we can do what we can for our own absolutely. well-being. Um, yeah. And at the same time, I'm hoping that this will open up a bigger conversation for, for researchers, for policymakers, because it's... I don't know, like I just, now that I think about it, I'm just really grateful for Australia because I don't feel excluded. I don't feel like I'm unsafe when I'm out in public. And I do know that it's a very big issue in the US because I have a lot of friends who live there. And um, yeah, I, I just find that to be fascinating because, you know, like it's supposed to be, you know, the, the, yeah. the dreamland where people just <laughs> get all of the best, right? <laughs> but actually for yeah, those that don't no. know, well, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not like it that, not. right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, well, been a okay. Bit. Yeah. Well, it, it, that could be a whole topic in itself, but you touched on this earlier. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about uh, the aspect of wealth. Because, you know, it it depends on your, you know, your personal circumstance, how much you can afford and whether you actually have um, other responsibilities and commitments in your life, because that's a affect how you're going to have access to all of of these things. Um, So we talked about a little bit of that. And I wonder what else is there, because we talked about the structural level. And now let's take it to the individual level, because the individual level would open up much more yeah you know, like totally. this Those is the struggle right yeah yeah totally. like this is a struggle that everyone could probably relate to um so material and you you mentioned cultural as well so i wonder what else would be some of the barriers that would stop individuals from having access or just being close to nature yeah absolutely so i would say like the first thing is that like it's kind of what i mentioned before that like, people underestimate you know, that's that the benefit, you know, you underestimated the effect that your height 
would have on your your emotional well-being um you know that is a, a key one like people are deciding what they want to spend their time on and they're systematically undervaluing the kind of experience that they could be having in nature and so um you know essentially like assuming that someone does have the time and a variety of uh, activities they could choose one of the main things is that they probably don't realize how much they will feel better if they do spend time in nature and you know it's one of those things like the more you do it probably the better you'll get at realizing this but for the majority of people it seems like we don't really know just how much of a benefit it'll be um so i think it's just one of those things that kind of it gets deprioritized it's not like the the go-to thing that I think some people, especially if you're, you know, if you if you don't have like a, a easy to get to, you know, natural place, um, it's just not the thing that comes to mind for I would say a lot of people. And then there's also kind of this, I don't know, this is something is so I I grew up in cities like I this is moving to Pullman, Washington. This is the first time I've ever lived in like a town or anywhere that isn't an urban environment. Um, and kind of through doing this, this like nature research and, um, my spouse is actually like much more kind of like had experience in like, uh, you know, hiking and camping and stuff than I did. I kind of learned in recent years, but I'd also sort of, it, it does sometimes feel like there's a bit of a barrier of entry. Like you need to like, you want to go for like a hike in like a nature preserve. There's like, do you, you like need to know about like where do you park oh there's a there's a fee to go here and like here's how you navigate a trail and so like you know kind of more immersive nature experiences i feel like there's like a base level of knowledge that you kind of need to have that you wouldn't necessarily already have so it's like there's a little bit i would say of like a barrier of entry in terms of like knowledge and expectations um which can be easily overcome especially if you can do it with someone who's you know done this before it sounds like your friend your friend drove, so maybe she she'd done this more recently um, or more often. But I think having someone who kind of like knows how to like navigate through a like forest preserve, that's like a big one, right? Like I'm terrible with directions. I'm really grateful that, you know, uh, like all trails exist and I can look at my, my phone and be like, where the heck am I? Um, but so there's those kinds of like, you know, just not feeling comfortable uh, not feeling like you know what to do, um, and then just under prioritizing or deprioritizing nature as a source of enjoyment um, and as a source of like pleasure is, you know, gonna ultimately be unfortunate because it, it does provide so many benefits. It's so good for us, but we don't necessarily assume it will be. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think it depends on the people you surround yourself with as well. If you're not the kind of person that are comfortable, you know, exploring by yourself. I actually totally. just took the train oh. to the Dandenong Ranges. Like, yeah. And I, I did that like every other month or so because I just love being there. Um, yeah. But I have friends that just aren't comfortable doing mm-hmm. that by themselves. And I'm, I'm just kind of like, it's okay. Like you can do it. Yeah, you know? yeah by totally. Yourself, you can do it. Uh, but then, yeah, the the friend that went on the hike with me, we were actually we did actually didn't know where that place was. We'd never been there before, and uh, he was driving, and then he was like, "I don't think we're in the right place." And I was like, "Huh?" Because we kept <laughs> going, and there was like no entrance because it's, yeah. it's supposed to be this park. And then he's uh. like, "Dude, I think we're not there." And I was like, "Huh?" So there was no Google Map working because it's in that remote area. 
Yeah. But here's what I love. And here's why I emphasize that you should surround yourself with people like that because adventurous people and totally. you know people that are open to talking to others I actually the, the bad thing is I don't talk to other people yeah <laughs> like if I if I struggle I'll just google yeah <laughs> I totally. don't like talking to people uh, but it was actually really good on that hike and I feel like this is something we can try you know more of I'm gonna I'm encouraging myself to try more of this as well so yeah love that yeah we were driving, he was driving and he, could, he couldn't see the entrance anywhere. And then we saw cars coming through and then there was this lady, she was kind of like going to um, uh, the gate uh, that we finally found. Um, so he was really quick in figuring out what happened. He was like, okay, I don't think this is the gate. The other way is the gate. Let's go back. And honestly, throughout this whole period, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I did not see any gate. I <laughs> do not know where we're going. Because, you know, like, I didn't drive. Maybe that's why yeah, I didn't notice. Totally. But, um, but when we got there, the gate was closed, right? So this is like sure. another funny thing. A lot of people might just turn around because it's right. closed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of and course, then, yeah. Yeah, because it's like it's closed. It's you know like the the long weekend, but then he went to talk and to talk to that lady, and then apparently the park opens later than what Google Maps says. That's it. That's wow. the whole reason. That's the so, whole thing. Oh, all we needed to do was wait. So yep. see, this is this is important as well because mm -hmm. I feel like culturally speaking, a lot of kids were raised in a way that just make them scared. Yeah, myself totally. included I think like yeah. some sometimes and I, I feel like surrounding yourself with people that are more adventurous that are more open-minded mm -hmm. that can get maybe a bit more extroverted than you and totally. you're know, willing to kind of like go the extra mile to find out what's happening and make friends on the road I feel like that's really awesome yeah and uh you know like that's that story is kind of how I'm thinking about uh my whole upbringing and leads me to my next question because I realized that okay maybe that happened because of something that was on with me but um, another thing that we need to talk about is children you know their engagement with nature because you know children would then become adults and you yeah. know like if you don't nurture that spirit when you were younger chances are totally. when you grow up you're not going to do that and I'm guessing the friends that are hesitant to go on hikes by themselves or explore by themselves had that experience because of their childhood. So yeah. our next question to you would be the behaviors of parents. How would the behaviors of parents actually influence their children's frequency of nature engagement? You know, this this is, I think it's probably going to be clear. I'm guessing, you know, if parents are taking children out more right, and explore yeah. more, they will grow up to be really adventurous totally. and, you know, adults that are engaging with nature much more. Uh, but there might be something else that we didn't look at. So what are yeah. your thoughts on this? Yeah. So, I mean, like, I think the, yeah, like the the obvious answer is like, oh, well, a parent, you know, taking their kid to the park. So their kids are spending more time in the park and then they, they learn that they like parks and, you know, or nature. And then, you know, that becomes value. But um, interestingly, it, so I actually did a study a few years back now um, where we were looking at uh, the environmental preferences of kids from basically four years old to 11 years old um and then also their parents um and we had them do a task where they were basically like sorting and rating different types of environments in terms of how much they liked them um and we had all of these like preferences for these different nature and urban spaces for kids and then also for their parents and we did find that like if you looked at how similar were the child's preference for different spaces uh, compared to their parents versus 
all of the other adults in our our sample, we over we basically found that kids overwhelmingly looked more like their parents than any other random adult. Um, and then on top of that, that relationship actually got stronger with age. So the four-year-olds, you know, they looked more like their parents than, you know, than other parents, but um, there was still like a bit of a disconnect. But by the time we got to our 11-year-olds, they're looking really similar. Um, their preferences are looking really similar to that of their parents. So this suggested to us that, yeah, the, the parents' preferences and environmental preferences are, are playing a key role in driving the children's preferences, at least up until 11. So I don't think it's a, a huge leap to say that, um, you know, what the parents prefer and what the parents are doing are going to have an impact on kind of children's own preferences, which, you know, may or may not change as they get older. But, you know, at least you have that kind of like foundation, hopefully, of like appreciating nature. And I don't do this research, but there's, you know, kind of like a whole other separate field of like nature-based play and nature um and a lot of that like talks about why like nature is so beneficial for kids and like how it does allow you to like increase like exploration and adventure and safety um like safe risk taking kind of thing so um i think there's a lot of benefits for it but it is it is interesting um and it's interesting kind of like what you were saying where it's like it's also just like if you didn't grow up somewhere where there was a lot of those you know it's like maybe the parents don't even have a park to take their kids to which is an unfortunate thing um so yeah it we, is. we would hope but it's another one yeah. of those things where there might be structural barriers as well yeah i mean totally because now that i look back on my childhood it was kind of like a privilege going to the park totally Here it's kind of like the norm and i'm yeah, like yeah oh. exactly no it's yeah, interesting exactly. you know like i'm yeah. i'm rewiring my brain yeah totally. <laughs> growing up, you know like it yeah. doesn't matter how old i am um but yeah i think it's it's super important because i look at my nieces and nephews and i just i just don't see them engaging with nature mm-hmm. at all you know yeah. like they're you know, they're mainly just indoors studying yeah, or you know they would go to their relatives places at weekends and they might go out or they might go on a vacation a year but that's yeah. that's the extent of their exposure to nature as much as I see. Yeah. Because it's as I said, it's a very urbanized city in Hanoi now. It's full of buildings and it's highly polluted. It's not accessible, you know, not that accessible to go to parks and things like that. Totally. So yeah. Yeah. And honestly. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I think like like the other kind of like the main thing actually of that study that I mentioned, um, that we found that was surprising was that like actually overwhelmingly kids preferred the like urban spaces we showed them um so like kids didn't actually prefer the nature p- pictures or in like spaces overall they actually prefer the urban ones and so yeah. it's like but they still benefited from it so it was like kind of the the way that we were thinking about this is like okay parents you should probably drag your kids to some nature they're not going to want to go <laughs> based on what we're showing like overwhelmingly on average they're not necessarily going to want it as much as you yeah. might, but it's good for them. So, you know, for some, and that's easy for me to say as a non-parent, but. Mm, yeah, same, same. I, I, I know parenting is hard. I'm not going to discount yeah. that, but I, I just no. think, I just think I'm concerned right now because my nieces and nephews don't get as yeah. much access yeah. to nature as they should at this age, totally. you know, because they're growing up, they're learning about the yeah. world and it's just good to, to kind of, kind of like grow to love nature. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, I would love to hear from you. Final question is about affective benefits of nature. Yeah. 
I was telling you earlier, I read this word and I'm like, I read the word, I read the definition. I was kind of lost. I was like, I, I don't really know what this is about. I'm guessing it's going to convince a lot of us and, and educate us at the same time, because I don't think everyone is aware of this. So yeah. could you please enlighten us? What are the yes. effective benefits that nature provide? Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, the, the thing that's confusing is affective is a word that I feel like a bunch of scientists and nerds like myself use a lot, but most people in their daily lives do not refer to emotions as affect. It's a very distinctly like nerdy scholar word. Um, so I'm talking about the the emotional benefits of nature to like make sure everyone is clear the affective benefits. Um, and yeah, it, it's astounding the amount of research that has honestly been done about all of the emotional benefits that nature has, like just decades of it. And kind of the, the most robust findings um, that we've seen based on things like meta-analyses, which are activating a lot of different studies results uh, to try to draw some stronger conclusions. It's like you see really real and robust increases in positive emotional states, especially right after some sort of interaction with nature. Um, you see slightly less, um, you also see a decrease in negative emotional states, but it's a slightly like smaller effect overall. Um, but you do see at least like in the short term, people tend to be in a better emotional state. So even if it's just for a short, short time, which is usually when these studies are done, um, you see these kind of very acute but strong short-term effects. You can also see an actual physiological change is the kind of other main thing. So there's this like whole body of research on how nature can reduce stress. And so um, you can ask people about their, you know, self-reported stress after they interacted with nature. And I'm saying you're active with nature and this could be like went for a walk, did some sort of like forest bathing, um, or it could just be spent time in a park or it could even just be like looking at honestly images or videos of nature so a lot of these also have included virtual uh, nature interventions and you see that people uh show physiological changes that are associated with a lowered stress response when they have been in natural spaces so things like dropping uh like cortisol dropping heart rate slowing uh those sorts of like physiological metrics you can actually see those change as a consequence of interacting with nature. And then there's this like other kind of separate, there, there's other things that are related, which is this idea of like subjective vitality. So people feeling like energized, happy, kind of, right? Like invigorated um, is another benefit that we see from interacting with nature. Um, and I think you talked probably about this with Kate last week, um, but you know, it increases your connectedness to to other people and, um, into your surroundings, which is, you know, um, a, a great thing in and of itself. <laughs> um, yeah. and then, yeah, that, that also, I'll also tack on that, like exercising green exercise is better than like indoor exercise for emotional states as well. So if you can, you can exercise outdoors in a natural space, that's like what we love. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I made so many friends on that hike last week. <laughs> So yeah. I just love how people in the, you know, in the early morning, everyone's just like, hey, good morning. How are you going? And yep. I was like, we don't do that in the city. No, we do not. That's considered <laughs> weird in the city. Like yeah. you, if you say hi to someone on the street, you're like, mm. like, what? like 
what I, are you what <laughs> yeah are you okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah I just really love help? that you mentioned that social aspect but I yeah I think it, it's just established how important this is to everyone mm-hmm. yeah and with that let's talk about our practice because yeah. we know that it's important but how do we get to the practical side of it because as we mentioned earlier this is it's kind of like a I don't know, like it's it's a journey for each person, especially if you're not in a space where you have access to nature, um, you're not you don't have that privilege or your life circumstances it's don't not. allow you to do that. Normally, the question would be related to how you would improve your connectedness to nature. But I think maybe we can tweak the question a little bit today, especially for those that are struggling, because if, I think you already have a really good sense of connection with nature. So that would be, you know, slightly unfair yeah. to those that are struggling. <laughs> so I wonder yeah. what would you recommend to those that are struggling right now if they don't yeah. know how to get connected to nature or if they if they don't have the best circumstances in life totally. to actually get access to nature? What should they do? What is the one thing that they can try today? Well, I would I would have a hard time saying one thing, but I can give you a mm-hmm. couple. So Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> so the first thing I would say is that like there's this idea of like noticing nature wherever it is. And so, um, you know, there, even if it's not like a truly like immersive, beautiful place, like even in a city, like nature is all around us still. So if you try to, as you're walking around, you're like walking into those natural elements that be like wildlife, or it could just be like grass on the sidewalk or like something growing through the cracks right like like just kind of trying to notice those natural parts of your surroundings um is like one small tweak you can make there's also if there just happens to be a street or some nearby area that has more trees just like try to go for a walk or do your if you can walk to commute or do some errands like if you can take a slightly greener more tree-lined route like that's great. That's what I used to do when I was, you know, in grad school walking. I I took a kind of roundabout. I took the scenic route, which was basically just like the street I walked on was like very lush compared to the rest of the streets in the So I just like purposely took that route every time I would walk to campus because it just like gave me a little extra nature exposure, um, and it allowed me to connect to nature a little bit more easily than if I take in like a more direct path, but you know, a like less natural one um and then the other thing i would say is like if you're really struggling or if it's like so gross out and you can't get outside for it um like some of my research basically showed that you can still get the emotional benefits of nature if you're looking at images um especially if they're really beautiful and really like this kind of uh, the aesthetics of it and the beauty of it and the preference for it is one of the really key ingredients to having these emotional benefits so if you can like just like watch like planet earth or like some sort of like a nature documentary like that's that's it's not you know it's not going to replace a, a walk in a forest preserve but it's still going to help um and it's still going to make you feel connected to the natural world i think in a way um that watching something else wouldn't so um yeah those would be my tips yeah I love that, those tips. I mean, we would normally ask for one. You yeah. gave us a bunch. <laughs> so there you go. Perfect. Yep. Um, so these practices are all to help us to stay more connected to nature. We we know the benefits already. So I don't think we need to repeat that. Um, but I think 
there will be a lot of challenges for for those that aren't used to this because totally you know for example they might not have the time or they might not want to make the time because they're so used to the daily grind right you know? so yeah how would you recommend them to uh, tips to overcome these challenges and maybe there are some challenges that we haven't addressed uh, yet you know if, if we missed anything from the previous section now's the time to throw them in to help our audience to get a bigger picture yeah. of what's actually going on yeah absolutely so i would say um like challenges that i think of as someone who's almost always lived in like the northern part of the u.s is that like sometimes the weather outside is so bad and there you can't convince me to go out into it. Yeah, <laughs> and I true. would say and I would say um that's really hard to overcome, especially if you don't like if, if you can gear up and just like spend e any small amount of time outside is going to be good for you. So um, you can, that would be, but that's like a barrier that I didn't bring up. That is like a very personal to me. I hate the extreme cold. So like in Chicago, it gets like rigid in winter. Um, and so getting me to go outside in negative 20 is just like, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but so, so maybe some, so maybe sometimes you can, you can skip a little bit of time, maybe wa watch a uh, planet earth instead. Um, but I would say that those kind of like it being extreme out aside, the the I think the number one barrier is again it's this idea of people not making time for it. Like assuming you have some set of leisure time and you can choose to do it, do something, you know, choosing to do something in nature, and it could be as simple as like you want to hang out with your friend, you haven't seen them in a while, instead of going to a coffee shop to catch up, let's go on a walk together through a, like a natural space. Boom, two words, one stone, right? you have spent time in nature and you're connecting with your friend. And so I'm a big fan of like combining things that I would otherwise be doing with trying to get some nature exposure. So, um, you know, biking and hiking outdoors. If I'm trying to get some exercise in, I'm going to try to do it in a natural space if I can, um, or trying to, you know, like make my commute a, m a more natural one. So insofar as, you know, you have to be going out and about doing things like, try to find ways to make the things that you already have to do overlap with natural spaces or um i don't know just like make decide instead of going to the movies go for a, go for a hike do a weekend trip where you just go to the you know go for hiking and biking or something like that spending time in nature rather than you know um going out to the bar or something like that like there's there are things you can do to replace uh current activities with like more beneficial um, yeah. Activities. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. I actually recommended uh, to my friend, hey, it's such a nice day. Why don't we hang out yeah. at the beach instead of your place? But then Beautiful. we had to cancel because she was sick. But oh. this is but exactly that's the it. idea. Though. Yeah, totally. yeah. This is exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I love that. Yeah. yeah okay. I'm on the right track. Yeah, you're totally on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, but the most important thing, I guess, is um, probably still outlining some benefits especially with that practice where you you talked about watching planet earth i love watching planet earth our planet sorry not planet earth maybe that's a documentary but another one um but yeah i love watching our planet and there's another series on um i think on disney plus it's called earth moods as well oh okay 
I haven't yeah, seen that also, one. I don't have Disney Plus. That's so. also interesting. It's just I just yeah. sometimes I just like zone out to it. Like I just sit in front of it and like I zone out. But it's really good. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned that because how would that improve our connectedness with nature? Because in a way we're watching the screen, right? I do feel like I know more about our planet, but yep. <laughs> does it actually help us? You know, if, if we yeah. don't get access to these natural spaces and, and someone just choose to, you know, let's just yeah. say someone chooses to watch these documentaries exclusively, would that still help them? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it, it's, it's all about degrees, right? So like the most benefit that you're going to get from nature would be from like the most immersive, like natural, beautiful space you can find. Okay. That being said, given that that's not always an option, we do still see benefits in, um, especially emotional benefits from these like virtual, you know, it's on a screen, but it's still looking at a natural place. Um, we still see the benefits that you can see if from going on a hike, you know, they're smaller, yeah. right? So mm. it's like, it's not a function of like, if, I guess, if you have the choice between watching planet Earth and going for a hike, 10 times out of 10, I'm going to be like, yeah, if you can go for the hike, but if you are not able to and like all you have time for is like i'm gonna watch like some other random show or i'm gonna watch planet earth i'm gonna be like probably watch planet earth or i'm gonna like um you know uh, like i don't know i just think we know that the emotional benefits can be obtained even through kind of simulated virtual nature exposure so like any way you can get it is gonna hopefully help it just the degree to which it helps is going to be smaller relative to a real natural space. Mm, yeah, totally. But it's good. It's good though. It's it's baby steps, yeah. right? I think yeah, it's totally. just a matter of changing our perspective. We have access yeah. to, everyone has access to the internet today, I hope. So, you know, at yeah. least we can start from there. Totally. Yeah, there exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Such great tips. I love that. Yeah. It's a reminder that I need to watch it more. I finished the first season. I think I stopped. I'm going to get back into it. Get back on that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually loved watching National Geographic as a child. So I think that's probably why I'm okay with this. But for a lot of other people, they might not be like, huh, what What's that? Um, So yeah, this is the reminder to everyone to watch it more in general, I would say. Yeah, totally. I mean, like the cinematography and like a lot of those shows, they, they like really do like capture stunning like even if you have access to real nature, most of us don't have access to kind of like the incredible places that are usually featured in these kinds of true. like the documentaries are like oh, well, like the, the best of the best places on the planet in terms of scenic beauty or uniqueness. And so like assuming yeah. that we can't actually just like hop on a plane and go to all these places, like it's not like perfect, but it's it's a good substitute, if not like an absolutely great one, especially if we don't yeah. have the real one at our disposal. Mm, totally yeah yeah that's a really good point there you go we can incorporate this into our daily lives really easily you know it's not that hard no all right thank you so much for sharing i've learned so much today affective benefits i'm not gonna forget that that's very interesting (laughs) i was like what is that word yeah i know it's such such an academic five dollar word emotion (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay well good to know I'm, uh, but then you you also know i'm not an academic so there you yeah. go good yeah yeah 
Well, good. Um, so fi- finally, before we let you go, uh, we would love to invite you to talk about something that you're very passionate about. I know exactly what you're passionate about by this point, but I would love to hear from you. You know, maybe it'll come with a key message they want to share with our audience, something you didn't get to mention before. Okay. So the floor is yours. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that I've kind of brought up two things or two things. So like one was uh, like I, I really fallen in love with like gravel cycling since I've moved out to Washington. Um, like I find it as just like a very easy way to connect with nature and also get exercise in. And uh, there's so many things about it that I love. So I just want to give like an extra plug real quick to, to nature cycling. <laughs> um, but the other thing, um, and a lot of like, I've, I'm not going to say that this has like been something I've been doing for such a long time that I can be like, yes, this, I did this thing and it changed my life. This is something I started doing like probably within the past, like meaningfully and regularly within the past few months. Um, and that's like doing a very, like a twice a day, basically gratitude journaling exercise where I, uh, in the morning, I essentially try to spend like a good five to 10 minutes, just like writing down different things I'm grateful for. Um, and I try to come up with new things also every day. Like, so I can have some things that I've like, I've mentioned before, but then I like really like try to rack my brain. I'm like, okay, what's another thing I'm grateful for that I didn't write in the past, like five or seven days or whatever. Um, and just like the act of kind of like going through my day and thinking about all of the things that I might otherwise take for granted that are actually not a given at all. Um, just like the big things and the small things, um, it has really allowed me to kind of, I think, keep my mindset very like focusing on the things I have and the things that I've been like lucky to experience and spending less time ruminating on the things that annoy me, <laughs> right? Because it's like, there's always going to be yeah. things that annoy you. And so I think this practice has really made a lot more optimistic it made me appreciate the mundane a lot more um and i just find that it keeps me in a really good mood like it, it's it's hard to some days it's harder than others don't get me wrong like days where i wake up and i'm crabby it takes a lot longer to to list out things than days where i wake up in a great mood but it still helps me um and i like I said i've been doing this for a couple of months and it i really do feel like it has like shifted my out already but i guess you know i gotta i gotta keep doing it check back me in a year see if i'm still doing that well. yeah well that's a really good one because that yeah. practice is actually recommended by a lot of our guests you know like writing down gratitude list or journaling um not not the cycling part that's unique to you <laughs> uh, so far i think you're the first one that's that's mentioned that uh but yeah the the gratitude practice is it's not that hard but you know i find it challenging to keep up yeah, totally. Yeah. So another, uh, maybe one thing I'll throw in to recommend to others is have a friend who you can do that with. You know, I have a really like one of my best friends who, who I love so much and we just text each other our gratitude list. Yeah. And that keeps us accountable because, you know, like some days I'm in a rush and I don't necessarily have the time to sit down at my desk and write it first thing in the totally. morning. And I'm just like running from one place to the other. But you know, like in the middle of the day, if I remember and if she remembers, we would just text each other our list. And I feel yeah. like that's such a 
great way to stay in touch. I love while that. Yeah. Sharing, you know, like what you're grateful for and just putting things into perspective. It's been really totally. helpful for me. Like we don't do that every day. We might yeah. do it every other day, but yeah, it's so helpful. I really yeah. love it. Oh, I love that. And like such a part of it, at least for me, is also like when I reflect on like all the things that I'm grateful for and the people that I find myself also more, more motivated to like tell them. So I feel yeah. like in addition, it's like the gratitude practice also makes me more likely to reach out to people and be like, hey, like, I really appreciate you and value you. And I just wanted you to know, like, I would just never yeah. do that before. And I feel like I've increasingly started to do that as a consequence. So it really does, like, it makes you value your relationships. And so if you can have that with like a friend where you guys are like, we're going to swap our gratitude list, like, be accountable and also share like the great things about your lives with one another. like I just love that everything about that is awesome yeah thank you and thank you so much for coming and share your insights today uh, as I said we talked to Kate last week but this conversation is completely different we've, completely we've learned different. a lot of new things well we, there are some similarities if you listen yeah, to totally. the two episodes you you guys share some very similar things um here and there but overall the ideas are mm-hmm. different in terms of the angle of the conversation so you know yep. we keep learning about this stuff and it's a really good reminder because you know when you get really busy the last thing you do is go out into nature so totally yeah, yeah i guess every little bit of a reminder absolutely uh so if our listeners would like to find out more about your work or get in touch with you or, you know, have a collaboration in mind, how can they find out about you? Yeah. So um, you can, you can Google my name. I'm as far as I can tell the only person with my name on the internet. <laughs> that's super unique. I love that. I know. I, it, I actually, that's why I ended up taking my spouse's name when we got married. I was like, this is unique. This is search engine optimization uh ideal uh, so, <laughs> wow i love yeah, that that is the that is the real reason i'm not gonna lie yeah. uh, lewis yeah. super yeah. common um but yeah so easy to google me uh but i'm also on twitter um at kim underscore meidenbauer um and yeah you can also find me on my uh washington state university webpage. so if you just google me and wsu you should come across the my stuff yeah Awesome. Thank you so much. I had the best time. Thanks for the reminder to go out into nature and watch more of our planet and David Attenborough documentaries. (laughs) Love David Attenborough. (laughs) Yeah. You've been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at we.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Lu Ngo. Thanks for tuning in.